More changes in the Trump administration. So what will the new month bring at the White House? And will the Senate vote to confirm the president's picks for VA secretary and national security advisor? Today, we hear from Indiana Senators Todd Young and Joe Donnelly. Plus, the latest news in the race for Senate with the Republican candidates' new campaign ads hitting the air. Then more 2020 buzz for an Indiana mayor who might run for president. And 50 years later, a moment in history here in Indianapolis. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning on this Easter Sunday. It is the first day of April, and the Trump administration is hoping to turn the page after a month full of what you might call March Madness in D.C. Multiple controversies and changes in the president's administration with yet another cabinet-level departure this past week. We're getting reaction from Indiana's senators today, but first here's Matt Smith with the very latest on these changes at the White House. Matt? Dan, good morning. A wild few days, a wild month really within the White House. Implications still really unknown this morning. Let's take a look at the changes happening just in the month of March. To the most recent, Communications Director Hope Hicks officially left the White House. We saw that with the president on Thursday after submitting her resignation a few weeks ago. Former VA Secretary now David Shulkin was fired on Wednesday. We then go back to the 22nd of March when National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster announced his resignation. In mid-March in the same week, we had two major firings. The former Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe and a few days before that, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. To kick off the month of March, it started with this, with the resignation of the president's top economic advisor, Gary Cohn, announcing that resignation. Two Shulkins firing from the VA. That was telegraphed for weeks. There's a lot of speculation about that. The only holdover from the Obama administration. The president has now nominated Ronnie Jackson to lead the VA. Jackson, an active duty rear admiral in the Navy, has served the past three administrations as the White House physician, including for President Trump. Vice President Pence has tweeted, quote, congrats to Admiral Ronnie Jackson. Thank you, Dr. David Shulkin, for your dedication and service to helping our veterans. Already a lot of questions about qualifications moving forward as his confirmation hearing will be slated in the coming weeks. And Dan, as you already know, we are already hearing this morning from Indiana's delegation about this. Yeah, thanks, Matt. We are indeed. These new nominees now go to the Senate where there have already been some questions about how that confirmation process will go. This week, we spoke with Indiana Senators Joe Donnelly and Todd Young. It's our job in Congress to make sure we uh, have vigilant oversight over the Department of Veterans Affairs, making sure that they provide the benefits and the health care that our veterans have earned. So this new uh, secretary, we're going to do all we can to make sure he succeeds. And uh, if for whatever reason, uh, in certain areas, he falls short, uh, it's our job to help remedy that situation. So will you vote to confirm Dr. Johnson? And why do you think he has the right qualifications? You know, frankly, the news just recently broke about this new secretary. Uh, he is a medical doctor, so uh, that's a large part of what the VA does. Uh, he is uh, a military man, so he understands the needs of military men and women. Uh, clearly, the president saw leadership capabilities in him. But uh, as with any nominee, I want to uh, withhold my judgment uh, through the confirmation process. And, and uh, I'll listen to Hoosiers uh, before I decide to cast any votes. Uh, are you concerned about just the number of people that kind of the president's been, um, some of those moves he's been making recently? 
You know, I think it's healthy uh, to have uh, a new, fresh set of eyes and new perspectives brought in and out of any large organization, perhaps especially our federal government, which isn't known for its innovation. We need to make sure that uh, we've got new people coming in and out of the administration, as we have with past successful administrations, uh, to ensure that uh, we're continuously improving services uh, to those who most need them. What veterans around Indiana want is good care, consistent care, and we've been able to grow the care in Indiana. We opened a new facility in South Bend. We have another one opening in Shelbyville next week. And so here in Indiana, we're trying to continue to grow our care to be able to make sure it's the very, very highest quality in the world. And that's what's important is to be able to continue to move forward on all of these programs. And so as I look at the leadership, my main concern is that they're moving the ball forward for our veterans here. Can we get a person in place to provide the very best care to our veterans across the country, and especially for me, obviously, in Indiana. I owe it to the people of our state to look really uh, deeply in depth on this because there's so many veterans in our state who have such dedication and devotion to our country. I want to make sure we get the right person in. This is uh, just the latest high-profile departure in recent weeks. Are you concerned at all about just the, the sheer number of moves and the pace at which the administration's moving? What concerns me is the continuity and the stability. We're preparing now for talks with North Korea. And my specific um, responsibilities in the Senate, I serve on the uh, subcommittee that deals with North Korea on the Armed Services Committee. And so H.R. Um, McMaster, the former National Security Advisor, was supposed to have provided us, required by law, the strategy moving forward in North Korea by March 12th. We still don't have anything. And so those are the kind of things that we want to make sure that we're prepared for these talks, that we have everything in place. You saw Kim Jong-un head to China just the past day or so. Well, what they were doing was getting ready for the talks. We need to make sure that we've, uh, we've prepared in every way, shape, and form for such important uh, negotiations. Is the pace a bit dizzying? I don't worry about the pace. I just want to make sure we have the right person in place. Up next, talking about the latest campaign ads from the Republican candidates hoping to unseat Joe Donnelly this fall in what has been called the GOP's nastiest primary. And could an Indiana mayor be considering a run for president against Donald Trump in 2020? Plus, the latest polling on the president in the wake of this Stormy Daniels situation. Up next. Let's bring in our panel right now. Former GOP State Chairman Jeff Cardwell with us this week, along with Democrat Jamar Cobb-Denard. Two former state lawmakers here as well, Republican Mike Murphy, Democrat Christina Hale. A lot of headlines this past week, guys, involving President Trump and this Stormy Daniels situation. But on this Easter Sunday, I also want to talk about the evangelical vote, because a lot of evangelicals do seem to be sticking with President Trump. There's a recent poll from Pew Research actually had his numbers with evangelicals, evangelicals higher than they were in January, 78% support for the president among voters who describe themselves as evangelical. What, what do you make of those numbers in the wake of everything else that, that is happening? I find it incredibly interesting, and it's really hard to discern the rationale for why evangelicals would support him with, you know, such gusto. I mean, he's not exactly known as being a spiritual guru or religious, you know, figure that people admire for those reasons. And um, the thought leadership, certainly in terms of spirituality, hasn't been quite 
demonstrated, let alone he's been on the cover of Playboy magazine. Mike, how do you see this? Well, Newton Minow wrote a great op-ed piece in the Chicago Tribune this week where he said, where have all of our religious leaders gone? He said it used to be that the presidency, above all, was a place for moral leadership and aspiration, and it's gone. He was uh, you know, wishing that Father Hesburgh was still alive, for example. But I will say, uh, Tony Perkins, who's the head of the Family Resource Council, at least is honest and forthright. He says, we're giving President of Mulligan and all of his moral, whatever you want to call him, and because we're getting out of him what we want out of him. And it's pure political calculus. It's all it is. And get Jamar and Jeff's take on this as well. One thing that I've got to keep in my mind, at least, is that uh, when we go back in time, the Ku Klux Klan uh, were actually conservative Christians. And just because evangelical Christians are supporting Donald Trump doesn't mean that it's right in the eyes of, of God. Now, I'm almost as baffled, I think, as Christina is, as why the evangelicals are supporting him. I think it may be because of some of his conservative views, but in terms of many of his policies, uh, there's nothing there that really supports the church. Do evangelicals say because of the policies, uh, this is why I support this president, not necessarily because of everything? Well, I think that. it's because he's been very bold about speaking that we are one nation under God. He's brought it up, uh, and that hasn't been the case for the last uh, eight years or so. And uh, I think also, I, I've talked to a lot of the evangelical Christians that would say to me that, you know, I, I didn't go into the voting booth to elect a pastor. I went in to elect a leader. And Donald Trump is a decisive leader, and he's not afraid to speak about this is a one nation under God. And we've also talked in the past about Vice President Pence and perhaps his role in that 2016 campaign helping uh, to bring along some of those evangelical voters. Vice President Pence has not commented at all on this Stormy Daniels situation. He has been out on the road quite a bit in recent weeks supporting Republican candidates ahead of the 2018 midterms. Look, I'm a Midwesterner. You know, we, we love political debate in the Midwest. We love good contests, but make no mistake about it. Um, President Trump and I are absolutely committed uh, to doing everything that we can. Vice President Pence, uh, someone who will effectively make the case uh, for Republicans out there on the trail, do you guys think? Uh, or in some cases, would he rather be out on the road than around the White House these days? Well, I think, first of all, I think Pence does a great job. He's, he's the one person in the administration that I absolutely have complete faith in because I've known him for 30 years. I know what he's made of, and he's very consistent, not only his values, but the way he approaches uh, politics in Washington. Um, probably, frankly and selfishly speaking, it's better for him to be out on the road, out of the beltway, around normal Americans instead of being in that whole kind of like in the middle, you know, in the washing machine full of media attention and having to defend Trump every second of every day. It's better to be outside making his own name and, and making his own reputation. And he has not wanted to weigh in on this uh, situation yet on Twitter, uh, interviews. He has, he has not discussed it. Oh, not at all. I think he's standing as far away from it as possible. I mean, he, he's also the father of daughters. And, you know, when you see somebody like our president who clearly has a very mixed um, personal history with women, um, very controversial history in terms of just his personal behavior, some which have likened to assault, I can't imagine that... Uh, uh, Vice President Pence would feel at all comfortable defending that. How important will Vice President Pence be in the 2018 uh, midterms for Republicans to, to, to uh, avoid this blue wave scenario some people talk about? Well, I just don't think there will be that blue wave scenario at all. I really don't. I think the economy is doing excellent under the Trump administration. Uh, I mean, the results speak for themselves. But uh, Mike Pence is excellent out on the stump. He's going to do a good job 
Uh, he continues to do a good job. He rallies people all across the country. And I think you're going to see a lot of Mike Pence out on the stump uh, all across the nation. And I imagine we may see him here as well uh, in the Senate race, though that, that can certainly uh, lead to some awkward moments. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. Back to the, to, to the Trump-Pence thing and him being on the road. Uh, the crazy thing is that the craziest thing in the White House is not Mike Pence. And he's really the one holding the wheels together for the Trump administration and especially their image. Um, now, with Luke Messer and Rakita both uh, standing on the Trump platform, having Mike Pence here could be a, a good stump for the Republican Party. Let's talk about that Senate race right now because the Republican candidates are on the air with new campaign ads about five weeks now until the May primary. And if you're not already seeing these ads, you'll be seeing a lot more of them, a lot more of them in the coming weeks. I'm Luke Messer. I get teamwork. That's why I back President Trump's agenda. Tax cuts, pro-life, and funding for our troops. Mike Braun and Luke Messer, not conservatives. Pro-life and pro-gun, Todd Rakita supports cutting taxes, building the wall, and making English our official language. Today we're going to see if we can tell the difference between Congressman Rakita and Congressman Messer. You know these guys? <laughs> No, it's hard to tell them apart. I couldn't tell you which one's which. I'm Mike Braun. I approve this message. They're awfully quiet. Oh boy, that ad getting a lot of buzz there from Mike Braun this week. What do you guys think of the ads from the Senate candidates? Uh, well, I think Mike certainly stands out. You know, people will remember it, people will laugh, but you know, there is a lot of noise out there and I would say our consultants, it is payday. They are making <laughs> money hand over fist. I imagine TV stations are as well with all these commercials this, on the air. This Mike Braun ad is the ad of the year so far. Obviously, it's only March. We've got a long way to go. A lot of creative people out there. Um, the, the thing that bothers me about the Rakita ad is he, he claims that Messer's not a conservative. I've known Messer for a long time. He's as conservative as, um, as Rakita, and Braun's very conservative. These are three conservative guys. And, you know, the one edge that, uh, that uh, Rakita does have is he voted against the spending plan a week or two ago. Mm -hmm. Messer voted for it. That's a legitimate policy difference for the voters to decide. What do these ads say about the candidates in the, in the race for Senate, do you guys think? One, Mike Braun is really smart. And from a communications standpoint, taking his two foes and making them one out of the same cardboard cutout is perfect. Uh, second, though, uh, Rakita has made some real mess missteps in how he's communicated his message and when he's communicated his message, especially with the guns in the wake of the gun uh, brouhaha over the course of the past three or four weeks. What do you think, Jeff? Is, is Braun's ad going to be effective, perhaps especially in taking that outsider mantle from Rokita that he's tried to stake a claim to? I, I think it would be a mistake to, mis, uh, to miscalculate that because uh, he is an outsider. He's a successful business guy. But, uh, uh, you know, we got three great candidates that's running right now. Uh, but I really think uh, right now if the race was held today, I think when, from the name recognition, I think Todd Rokita would be the one that would come out on top. But 30 days is a life cycle, you know, in politics. And so uh, 30 days is a long time out. So right. I think you're going to see a lot more of these ads. We'll see more commercials over yes, the next 30 days, won't we? No doubt about that. From 2018 now to 2020, an Indiana Democrat is getting more attention as a potential candidate for president. We're talking about the mayor of South Bend, Pete Buttigieg. This week, Politico reporting that Mayor Pete is, quote, getting closer to a presidential race and that, quote, serious people are telling the South Bend, Indiana mayor, who'd be the first major presidential candidate who's openly gay, an Afghanistan veteran, and a millennial, to take it seriously. 
Do you think mm. he is taking the idea seriously of possibly running for the nation's highest office? He's absolutely taking it seriously, yes. I th going to Iowa, going to New Hampshire. Supporting candidates in other states. He's extremely active. He's building a team. I've been in D.C. talking to a lot of mutual friends who seem to believe that this is the plan. So we'll see. You're a Notre Dame guy. What do you Not think? Not only am I a Notre Dame guy, I'm a South Bend native <laughs> as well. And I can tell you, even though he's of a different party than I am, he is the best mayor South Bend has had in 50 or 60 years. Now, can he transfer that to the presidency? Uh, that's, a, that's a big stretch between being South Bend mayor and the president. But why not take it seriously? The Democrats have nobody to run for president in 2020. I'd, I'd let anybody run that wants to run and see who's, who sticks. He did run for DNC chair last year. Uh, certainly a big step, but this day and age, uh, after President Donald Trump won the office, uh, is it not necessary to have the same kind of political experience that, that, that people have had in the past? And that step isn't insurmountable. Remember Sarah Palin from a couple of election cycles ago, uh, from a small town, Wasilla, all the way to Washington, D.C. Uh, I met with the DNC chair a few weeks ago, and one of the things he mentioned was uh, rebranding and refocusing the message and image of the Democrat Party. Uh, Pete Buttigieg could do that. He's young, he's fresh, he's bright, and he's diverse. He could be the perfect type of candidate to really uh, create a resurgence. And the good thing about Buttigieg is he could say with all uh, credibility, I can see Michigan from my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> he truly can. How do Republicans look at a guy like Buttigieg? Well, I, I think if you uh, really want to look at it, the American dream is alive and well. When you look at a small town uh, mayor taking the opportunity to look up to run for president of the United States, you know, a lot of, uh, if you look back just a few years ago, a lot of people underestimated a young senator from Illinois That's at true. the same time, yeah. you know. So and, I think it's possible. And, and in this day and age, as we talk about people coming from different backgrounds uh, politically, today we're also talking about the uh, race for Congress in Indiana's 9th Congressional District today, uh, the seat currently held by freshman Congressman Trey Hollingsworth in that 9th District. Three Democrats are looking to unseat Hollingsworth in the 9th. And uh, two of those candidates uh, who've been leading the way in that uh, Democratic primary have already been raising a lot of money. We spoke with Liz Watson a few weeks ago. Next week, we'll be talking with candidate Dan Cannon. Recently, we also spoke with a third candidate in that primary, who's a truck driver from Indiana, who's never been involved in politics until now. My name's Rob Chalos, and I'm running for Congress in uh, Indiana's District 9. I really don't like politics. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not really, I don't care for politics. And uh, the reason I'm here is because I have a degree of background, knowledge, and intellect, and understanding of what our problems are. And I think it was time for me to step up, the, up to the plate. Is something missing from Washington that you think you can add as a, as oh, a yeah. complete outsider? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that uh, we have a leadership vacuum. We get stuck in this rut where we think that a, a, a politician uh, has to be a certain way, certain, um, you know, come from a certain economic or socioeconomic group. I disagree. Up next, remembering the words of Robert F. Kennedy and the speech he made here in Indy 50 years ago, the night Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. We'll be right back. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. The words of Robert F. Kennedy right here in Indianapolis, the night that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. This coming Wednesday marks the 50th anniversary of that tragic and historic day. There'll be a special ceremony here in India at the park where Robert Kennedy gave that speech, urging calm here in Indianapolis. And this week, there's also a new plaque which features his historic words from that night 50 years ago. For when Senator Kennedy forged ahead with his appearance, while cities across the country rioted,
we here in Indianapolis were shown what it means to not let the evil of this world win, but instead stand against it. Meantime, Congressman Andre Carson and other Indiana lawmakers recently passed a bill to make the park where this happened a national commemorative site. Congresswoman Susan Brooks and I have been uh, successful at getting a bipartisan bill passed that designates uh, Martin Luther King Park as a national commemorative site. It's a big deal. Indianapolis was the only major city that did not have civil unrest. I think it speaks to a, a, a tradition in, in work. It's a long process of us coming together regardless of religion, regardless of race. Fifty years ago, uh, your reflections on this uh, important date in history in Indianapolis and around the world. It's very important for Indianapolis. I'm very, so very proud, really, of Representative Carson and Representative Brooks, a Republican, a Democrat, uniting for an effort like this. At one point, our city was infamous for its association with racism and the KKK. And here, two people from across the aisle are sending a message to our country to say, no, this, this is a big deal. It was indeed a bipartisan bill here. Yes, it was, and, and I commend both of them, too, for taking this step. Uh, Indianapolis is a, is a role model, was a role model uh, during that time, and we didn't have the unrest that others had. Jamar, Mike, quickly, your reflection. The Kennedy King Memorial Initiative has done a great job at programming uh, a couple of months of events to make sure that we celebrate this, and it needs to be uh, promoted and attended. Kennedy's words are needed now, probably more than they were needed back in 1968. We should put the speech on a loop. And his speech inspired future political leaders like Teresa Lovers, who is a high school student, was in the park that night. Was there that day. How about that? We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, let's wrap it up with this week's winners and losers. Jeff. My winner is President Trump for his choice for John Bolton. And I think he's going to be an excellent leader. Jamal. My winner are the students and uh, demonstrators in Washington, D.C. a week ago uh, who staged the largest demonstration in history on our nation's capital. Mike. Two winners. Uh, first of all, Mike Braun for the best commercial of the political season. And Eric Holcomb, a very productive economic development trip to Canada this past week. I do like that ad. I have to say, all the first-time candidates throughout our state who are stepping up to do something and say, this is important, and they understand what's at stake. All right. We hope you have a wonderful Easter Sunday. We'll see you again next week right here on In Focus.